listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Mark 9, 42-50 If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and their fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Hey everybody, Pastor Dan here. Sorry I can't be there with you in person today. I tested positive for COVID this week. Caught it from my son Zeke, who came down with it, uh, gosh, uh, just about a week ago now. Uh, We're both doing pretty well. Mild symptoms for the most part, mostly just fatigued. Um, He actually seems to be through the worst of it, which is is great. Uh, I would appreciate your prayers, though, for a speedy recovery uh, for Zeke and myself, and for Aaron and Miriam to hopefully stay healthy and not catch this thing. We're going off script today a little bit, uh, as you have probably noticed. Uh, If you are following along in your bulletins, you can see that we are not actually talking about Mark 10, 32 to 45 today. That was the original plan uh, before news broke on Tuesday about the terrible mass shooting down in Uvalde, Texas, that took the lives of 19 children and two teachers. I am just furious about this. I'm furious, and I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated this happened again. I'm frustrated that we are not likely to do a thing about it as a society, and I am furious that I had to reassure my seven-year-old daughter every night this week that she's going to be okay and she doesn't have to be afraid when I don't even know if that's true. And my heart is just broken for the families and the community down in Texas impacted by all this. You know, Columbine High School, which in my memory is really the first big school shooting like this that made national headlines, that was my freshman year of high school. So my entire teen and adult life so far has been punctuated by these, these school shootings, Red Lake, West Nickel Mines, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook, Parkland. Every time the same cycle repeats itself, we get thoughts and prayers, followed by debate, inaction, and ultimately no change as our focus as a society shifts to whatever the next tragedy or crisis happens to be. Over and over again, the same cycle with nothing changing, nothing moving forward. It's maddening. There have already been 27 shootings at K through 12 schools in the United States since January. 27. Rob Elementary School was our 213th mass shooting of the year. 
There have been more mass shootings so far in 2022 than days. That's insane. And it is completely unacceptable. Scripture tells us that God hates our prayers. God finds our worship repugnant when there is injustice in the land and God's people do nothing about it. Isaiah 1, beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. By the way, Isaiah is really talking to God's people in in this passage, the Israelites. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Trample my courts no more. Bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and calling of convocation. I cannot endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove your evil deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. I imagine God might be saying something like that to our country, to our people right now. We're Sodom and Gomorrah. When we have the audacity to offer our thoughts and prayers with not a shred of action, not a shred of change, our prayers become an offense to God. So we've got to talk about this. We've had two Sundays in the past month where we've looked at stories about Jesus interacting with children. Jesus instructing us as his followers to welcome children, to follow children, to care for children. Warning of damnation for anyone who causes a child to stumble. So we're circling back to Mark 9 today, hopefully for the last time, and we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about guns because our society is sick. Our nation is sick. Our obsession with guns and with violence is sick, and it's killing our children. Now, I know guns are a complicated issue, and stopping gun violence gets even more complicated. I also know that when we talk about guns, there are some deep-seated cultural values, national values, family values at play. I get that. I grew up in Pennsylvania, for crying out loud, a state with more guns than people. I've been around guns my whole life. Some of my best memories from my teen years are going to the shooting range with my dad. So I get it. I understand. I know that there are layers of nuance and complexity, all sorts of different factors at play. I understand that. But scripture has something to say about this. Jesus has an opinion about our relationship to guns and how we defend ourselves, where our security lies. I'm not here to tell you how to vote or how to fix this, what specific policies or reforms to get behind. You all have brains of your own. You can think for yourselves on that. But I am here to tell you, to relay to you what the Bible has to say on the matter and more importantly, what Jesus has to say. I know I'm a little radical on this, but when Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, I think he actually meant it. 
I think all that stuff, all that cultural, political, national, family stuff, as important as it is, as deeply rooted as that stuff may be in our identities, we've got to submit it all to Christ. And we are not doing that very well. So today I want to talk about a number of different ways that our culture around guns, even among many Christians, misses the mark and fails to account for the teachings of Jesus. And I want to do this, I want to talk about this, so that we have just a a basic level of understanding as we engage in conversations, as we take action, as we make decisions in our own lives. I want to make sure that we are aware of where God's word comes down on the matter. And to start things off, we've got to talk about our attitude toward weapons in general. Jesus isn't silent on the topic of weapons. Weapons were as ubiquitous in the first century as they are here in the 21st. Back then, the weapon of choice was a sword, and Jesus had a few things to say about swords. Those who live by the sword die by the sword comes to mind. Jesus said that to Peter when Peter drew his sword to defend Jesus, attacking one of the temple guards who came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus healed that guard, by the way, and chastised Peter for using violence. Throughout his ministry, Jesus instructs us to love our enemies and turn away from violence, to turn the other cheek. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You guys, loving our enemies means not killing them, at the very least. It means that as Christians, our first instinct when confronted by someone looking to do us harm should not be retaliation. This is real life stuff for Jesus' audience. He's saying this to a bunch of people who were living under foreign occupation. They had violent enemies who posed a real threat to them daily. And it's to those people, it's to that audience that Jesus says, love your enemies and turn the other cheek. The early Christians knew violence and persecution, beheadings, crucifixions, stonings. The Romans would feed entire families to lions. And yet not one time in those early years of the church do we find a single record of Christians retaliating violently. Not once. They didn't take up arms. They didn't defend themselves with the sword. The early martyrs of the church would walk into the Colosseum singing hymns. With their dying breaths, they would shout out words of blessing to their persecutors as the lions tore them to pieces. We had better think very hard as Christians before we put ourselves in a position to kill someone with a gun, even in self-defense. And I know that's a hard teaching. It was just as hard 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it, it has not gotten any easier. Another place I think we've missed a mark as a culture is with our fanaticism around individual rights and liberties. And this is one where I have to confess that I am guilty. I'm a bit of an extremist when it comes to individual freedom. When it comes to stuff like uh, free speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, I tend to be pretty radical. I hate tyranny. 
I don't like authoritarians. It fills me with rage when I see places like Russia and China where individual rights aren't respected. Now, I think there's something good in that. There is a positive impulse there, a recognition of every human being as unique and valuable and indwelled with certain inalienable rights, right? That's a good value. But it is a deeply American value. It's not biblical. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's important to know where these values of, our, of ours come from. The idea that individual rights are these untouchable things, these absolutes that cannot be infringed upon by anyone for any reason, that is an American ideal. It is not biblical. You don't find that in the Bible. The biblical authors didn't have much to say about individual liberties. That's just not a topic that was on their radar, and of course it wasn't. The Bible was written by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. It was written by people like Moses and Paul, folks who lived thousands of years before the first modern democracy and communally-based cultures. The Bible really doesn't have much to say to us as individuals on like a one-on-one -on -one personal level. That's why, that's why individual Bible study can be so hard and can lead us down some wild rabbit holes. The Bible wasn't, be, wasn't written to be read that way. It's like an individual little person. The Bible is addressed to a community. It's written to be read in community by a community to Israel and the church. The Old Testament lays out a collective vision of law and faith and economics. God judges entire nations. God calls a community, the family of Abraham, and anoints them to be a blessing to all the other families of the earth. That's communal. Whenever you read the word you in the Bible, like Y-O-U, it's almost always plural. Did you know that? Like in Paul's letters and Jesus' teachings, 99% of the time when you see the word you, you should be thinking y'all. It's not addressed to you individually. It's addressed to the community. This is a tough concept for us, I know, because our culture is so radically individualistic. In our culture, the individual is the king of their universe, the god of their universe, really, and no one gets to tell an individual what to do. Think about every Disney movie you've ever seen, right? Uh, Aladdin, Lion King, Cinderella, Frozen. It's always the story of some, you know, individual, some oppressed individual who has to break free of their family, break free of society, and, and find themselves, find true love, become a full person. That's the American gospel. It's not biblical. We've been taught to cling to our rights and liberties. Don't give them up for anything. But Jesus teaches us the opposite. He teaches us to give it all away. Jesus gave it all away. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being obedient unto death. That's from Philippians 2. And Jesus teaches his followers to do the same. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not being metaphorical. Whoever wants to save their life must lose it. Jesus modeled a path of self-sacrificial love, of putting ourselves and our rights last to elevate others, even working to elevate our enemies. That flies in the face of our American values. Remember that the next time you engage in a debate about guns. 
Ask yourself, where would Jesus stand here? What, what would Jesus say and do in this situation? One more way I think our culture is out of whack with this stuff, and there are many others, but this is, this is the big one. And it's the myth of redemptive violence. The myth of redemptive violence. That's the myth, or the lie really, that violence can be a good thing. That violence can be redemptive, as long as it's aimed at the right people, the bad guys, right? The myth of redemptive violence is an idea that's imprinted all over our culture. It's part of our our history, right? The stories we tell, our, our national mythology. It's in the media we consume. Movies, TV shows, video games, this idea that that might makes right, that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun, the idea that violence can be an answer to our problems. Problem is, it doesn't work. There was a good guy with a gun at that supermarket in Buffalo. His name was Aaron Salter Jr. He was a retired police officer working as a security guard. He was a good guy there to serve and protect, and he was murdered along with nine other people by a bad guy with a gun. The myth of redemptive violence is a lie. It doesn't work. Violence never solves a thing. It only begets more violence. At least that's what Jesus taught us. To counter the myth of redemptive violence, Christ points us to the way of the cross. The cross is Jesus' victory over violence. He conquered violence on Calvary, not by fighting back or drawing a sword, but by giving himself over to it, by exposing the ugliness of it and then prevailing over it with the resurrection. That is our hope. That's our model for how we're called to be in the world and to live as Christ's disciples. And there are eternal stakes in this. Jesus talks about hell a lot in Mark chapter 9. He has an awful lot to say about it. It's better to enter life maimed than have two hands and go to hell. It's better to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And it all starts with a warning for those who fail to protect children. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble. Now we could nuance Jesus' words about hell. We could talk about how our understanding of hell today has very little to do with what Jesus meant by hell. He was talking about something different. We could talk about how hell might even be redemptive or restorative, how we might hope that hell is empty someday. I know there are some people in here right now who don't even believe in hell, and I wish I wish I could join you in that. I sincerely hope that you're right. But here's my hang-up. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. And he doesn't use hell, you know, to scare non-believers into following him, right? Like, he, like, like when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, he's not like, uh, you know, say this prayer, uh, accept me as your Savior, or you're going to hell. No, Jesus never does anything like that. All of his warnings about hell are given to religious people. The Pharisees, the priests, the disciples, his own followers. Those of us whom 
our prayers and our acts of devotion fall on deaf ears before God because of the injustice that we allow in our midst. Jesus warns us that there's going to be a judgment someday. And that judgment is going to have two outcomes. Every single one of us is going to have to give an account to God someday for our actions and inaction in this life. And the way to God's kingdom is to follow the way of Jesus. We are called to model our lives around his. I think a lot of Christians are functional atheists. We function, we operate as atheists. We live our lives, we make decisions without thinking much about the eternal consequences. It's like we forget that God's there and God's watching. Or we think that God's just going to be cool with whatever we do because we said a prayer one time at Bible camp. We act like our faith is something we can just flip on and off, right? We're good little Christians in church. We give lip service to all that love your enemy stuff. But then once we get out of the sanctuary, it's like, ah, whatever. If my enemy messes with me, I'm going to be ready. If the gun in your holster causes you to sin, throw it away. It would be better for you to enter eternal life unarmed than be thrown into hell guns blazing. If defending your freedoms leads you astray, throw them away. It would be better for you to enter God's kingdom powerless than to keep those freedoms and go to hell. I don't want to see anyone in here go to hell. One, because I like you guys. And two, because I think it would reflect negatively on me, right? There is a sickness in our culture around guns. It's idolatry, really. That is the biblical word for it. We worship guns. We celebrate guns in the media we consume. We turn to them for security. We put our trust in them. We spend a lot of money on them. We defend them when they're attacked. We sacrifice our children to them. And I don't have the answer. I don't think that there is a single policy change we can make that's going to solve the problem of mass shootings once and for all. I think we need a deeper cultural change coupled with policy change in action. I think we need to tackle hate and white supremacy. We need to talk about mental health. We need to rethink the role of guns in our society and the relationship between gun culture and faith. And personally, I think we need some tougher barriers around who can get weapons and what kind of weapons they can get. But like I said at the outset, I'm not here to suggest legislation or tell you where to stand on this. That's not what a sermon is for. I just want to make sure that we understand that Scripture has something to say about this. Jesus has something to say about this. God has an opinion on this topic, and I can't believe God is very happy with us right now. So in the days and the months and the years ahead, as we see the debates, that cycle, the policy proposals, as politicians offer their thoughts and prayers and not a whole heck of a lot else, as we see the propaganda and the misinformation campaigns, as conspiracy theorists come out of the woodwork saying it's all a hoax and the families down in Texas are actors, because you know that's coming. You know that's coming, right? As we engage 
in conversations and debates ourselves, as we talk to friends, as we make our own decisions and work through our own relationship to weapons and to violence, as we engage in civil discourse and take action, and yes, as we vote. I want to make sure that we are seeking first the kingdom of God in all things. I want to make sure that we are taking every value, every thought, every position and assumption and submitting it all to obedience to Christ. Don't forget that in the days ahead. Don't forget who you serve and who you belong to. Your ultimate citizenship isn't to this world and its kingdom. It's to God's kingdom. That's where your security lies. That's where our hope is found. That's where freedom is secured. Remember that. Live out of that hope. And may God give us the grace and the wisdom and the discernment to save us from ourselves. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.